0: hi my name is jeff redding i'm a preaching elder here at walton community church in monroe georgia before we begin the sermon our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m you can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. thanks for listening all right howdy wcc again merry christmas I'm starting early this year um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to to Matthew. I was about to say Hebrews. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning, I don't do this a lot, but I wanted to wish Miss Sally a happy birthday. All right, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17 of genealogy. So this is the first Sunday of the Christmas season, first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is only 22 days away. I don't know if that brings you joy or stress, but it uh, <laughs> makes me happy. I love Christmas. I love the lights and decorations and music and the movies, and it's a wonderful life. It's like one of my top movies of all times. But uh, as has been mentioned, in our culture, a lot of times Christmas has very little to do with the Son of God coming into the world, becoming man. I mean, you walk through Target or Walmart or whatever, if you took away Jesus, there'd be very little change in our culture. So, but God did not want that for us. So this morning, over the next few weeks, I want us to think about Christmas, but let's really focus on what the Bible says about Jesus's coming. And what we're gonna find is that this is absolutely exciting and wonderful. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, we were going through Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, we've been studying about how Jesus is our great high priest. So Jesus is our high priest in the heavens now in the throne room of God interceding for us. So Jesus is a priest, but Jesus is also a prophet and he's also a king. So he fulfills these three offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And what we're gonna be looking at today is about how Jesus is the king. He's the king over all kings. He's the king of kings. And in Matthew, we're gonna see how Matthew guides us when he looks at Jesus' genealogy He's going to talk about Jesus' royal line, the kingly line, okay? And if you've been a Christian for a long time, my hope is that studying Jesus' family tree, studying his royal line, will give you a renewed sense of thankfulness, a renewed sense of gratitude, a renewed sense of um, just, just worship for our God, for our Savior, and for his grace in saving us. And if you're not a Christian, my hope is that this series will really encourage you to give serious thought to who Jesus is and that ultimately you'll repent of your sins and and put your faith in Jesus and give up the controls of your life and turn it over to him, all right? So this morning we're going to look at Matthew's account. Um, What Matthew tells us is the king is coming, and that's the title of my sermon today is the king is coming, All right. Because what Matthew wants, uh, wants to do is show us that Jesus is the promised king. And so he begins with this genealogy. And so I'm going to read the whole genealogy. I'm tempted to, do you all know Andrew Peterson's song, Matthew's Begats? You know, Abraham, at Isaac. I'm tempted to sing that song. Just go through it. But I'll, I'll spare you. Um, but let's read it. Let's go. I'm going to go through the whole thing. 1 through 17. And uh, I'm not going to preach a sermon on every word in, or every name in here, but we're going to go through it pretty quick, but it's going to be good. And as we go through it too, just a few things to look for. Look at, look at Abraham, look at David, look how often David is mentioned, the King David. Look also at the, the women or four women, we're going to talk about that, the four women mentioned in the genealogy, and also the numbers. You'll see this number 14 over and over again. So think about that as we go through it, all right? So let's go. Matthew 1. and Shealtiel, okay. so, so, okay. right. the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Elihud, and Elihud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, all right? All right, so Matthew is, one of the things that's helpful is understand Matthew's writing primarily to Jews and to Jews genealogies were super important. I'll confess that when I read through scripture and I get to these long genealogies, I just kind of let my eyes go down and I say, yeah, that counts as reading, right? So you kind of just skip over the genealogy sometimes. But to first century Jews, these were extremely important. And, and Matthew is showing us here, as I said before, that Jesus is the king promised by God. So Jesus is from the kingly line of David and Matthew showing us that King Jesus has come to save us, that he's the savior. He's come to rescue us. And the thing is, before we get into the text, just as a reminder, all of us need to be rescued, right? All of us need to be saved. We're broken and needy and rebellious. This is who we are as humans. Now, here's the amazing thing. In our humanity, we're really wonderful and amazing, right? We're incredible the way that God has made us as humans because we're made by God, made in his image. But we're naturally miserable because of our sins. This is in this contradiction between how wonderful we are and how miserable we are. This is a quote by Herman Bavinck in "The Wonderful Works of God." And it's kind of long, but I, I love the quote. He says this: "Think about the contradictions and how wonderful and how miserable we are as humans. He says, "Man longs for truth and is false by nature. He yearns for rest and throws himself from one diversion upon another. He pants for a permanent and eternal bliss. And seizes on the pleasures of a moment. He seeks for God and loses himself in the creature. He is a son of the house and he feeds on the husks of the swine in a strange land. He forsakes the fountain of living waters and hews out broken cisterns that can hold no water. He is as a hungry man who dreams that he's eating and when he awakes finds that his soul is empty. What Bob Inc. is saying, what what God is telling us over and over again is that we were made for more than this world. We were made for God. But the problem is we're a mess, right? We're filthy, broken, sick, rebellious, and because of our sin and rebelliousness, we deserve the death penalty. And we can't save ourselves. It's impossible. That's one of the things just to be reminded of is Christmas. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. We need a Savior who's holy and good and not a slave to sin. And we need a Savior not only who is holy, but we need a Savior who is strong enough and powerful enough to rescue us from sin and death. You think somebody around here can rescue you from sin and death? No, we need somebody that powerful. We need a mighty Savior King. That's our only hope. And that's exactly what Matthew is showing us here in this first chapter when he says the King is coming. And in this genealogy, Matthew is showing that Jesus is, as I said, the promised king. He's the rescuing, saving king. But there are a couple of things about Matthew's genealogy that seem strange to us as 21st century readers. One, if you've ever read Luke's gospel, you'll see that Matthew's gospel is very different from Luke's gospel, right? Luke starts with Jesus, and he goes backward all the way to Adam. Whereas Matthew here goes forward, and he starts with Abraham. He doesn't start with Adam. He starts with Abraham, and he goes forward to Jesus, okay? And both Luke and Matthew trace the line through Jesus' father, Joseph, okay? You may have heard that Luke traced the genealogy through Mary, but Luke doesn't say that, and I want to take him at his word. He goes through Joseph, now, the confusing part for, for us is that Luke's and Matthew's genealogy, as I said, differ quite a bit. Even, if you look at Luke and Matthew, even the name of Joseph's father is different in Luke and Matthew, okay? In Matthew, here, we see Joseph's father is named Jacob. But if you look at Luke 3, Joseph's father is named Heli. So what's going on with that? Also, another strange thing, in Luke the line splits at David. So it says, Nathan was the son of David. And here in Matthew, it says Solomon is the son of David. Now, David had lots of sons, but this is the line that each that Matthew and Luke are going through. So what's going on with this, okay? There are a lot of theories. Here's the one that makes the most sense to me. I'm convinced that Luke, if you read Luke 3, that Luke is actually showing Jesus' biological line, Okay? Joseph. And Matthew, what we're going through here, Matthew is showing Jesus's legal line, the kingly line from King David from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was the kingly tribe. So Matthew is showing us the the legal line of descent, while Luke shows us the biological line of descent. And if you think about it, if you know people who are adopted, their legal line and their biological line are not the same. One of my closest friends He knows his biological father, but he's adopted. So he took the last name of his adopted father. And so his legal line of ancestry goes through his adopted father, but his biological line obviously goes through his his biological father, right? So, So his legal and his biological lines are completely different. When Jesus was born at this time, people's lifespans were very short, and so adoptions were very common. And here, if you go through Matthew and Luke, If there are just two adoptions in these genealogies, then Matthew's Matthew's line and Luke's line will be squared away. So I think the probable explanation is that Joseph's biological father was Heli in Luke, we see that, and I think he probably died early, and then I think Joseph was adopted by Jacob. That's my theory, okay? If you have a different theory, that's fine. You can share it with me, but that's mine. But both of these, both, both the biological father of Joseph and the, the adopted father of Joseph were from the line of David. They were from the tribe of Judah, okay? All right, so I think that, that's how I explain it, all right? And Heli, I know this is confusing, but Heli, Joseph's, who I think is Joseph's biological father, and Luke, he was a descendant of David's son Nathan, while Jacob... Joseph's adopted father here, listed here in Matthew, was a descendant from David's sons, Solomon, the king, all right? But the important thing, regardless of that, the important thing is Matthew is showing us clearly that Jesus is from the kingly line of David, from the tribe of Judah, okay, which is the tribe of kings. So Jesus is from the line of kings. So one question is, this, this genealogy is different from Luke, we looked at that. Another question, if you go through this, if you know your Old Testament history, is that Matthew leaves out some names. He leaves out some, some names in the genealogy. Why does he do that? Well, this was a common thing in ancient Israel. I don't like it. I've done some genealogy in the study of my own family. and when people, I've seen people leave out names, and it drives me crazy. But for people in Israel, in ancient Israel, this was a common thing. Sometimes they did that just to make memorization easier. They could go through their ancestry and and have a way to memorize it. So I think Matthew is probably doing that. Also, what Matthew is doing is he's using symbolic symmetry. You notice the 14, 14, 14, okay? And what he's doing, it's very important, he is showing a picture of completeness. He's showing a picture of... Fulfillment. He's saying everything's complete and something big is about to happen when Jesus comes on the scene. And you see this, look at verse 17. When he says, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. There's some very important symbolism going on right here. Numbers were very important to the Jewish people. And one explanation, I think it's right, for Matthew's account of the generations is this. Jews used a numbering system called gematria. Gematria, okay? And what it was, each letter represented a number. And you think about, you know that with Latin, like if it's Super Bowl XL, you know what that means, right? We see the Roman number. So there are letters like in Roman numerals that represent numbers. Well, Jews had the same thing. They had a letter that represented a number. And actually, in in Hebrew, there were only consonants. They didn't have vowels. So each consonant represented a number, okay? So in this genealogy, Matthew's showing that Jesus is a descendant of David. Well, David is very important in this genealogy, and his name is repeated many times. If you look at verse 1, you see David, son of David. In verse 6, David is mentioned twice. And in verse 17, David is mentioned twice. And if you go, we didn't look at it, but if you go down to verse 20, when the angel appears to Joseph in the dream, look how the angel addresses Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David. Okay, So Jesus being a descendant of David is extremely significant. Talk, I've talked about the number 14. This number 14 is significant too. And if you notice, there are three sets of 14 generations in this. Okay, Three sets of 14. And here's the thing that's super interesting to me. David is the 14th name on the list. He's the 14th name on the list, and he's one of the turning points in the genealogy. And get this. I thought this was so cool. In, in using Gematria, the name David... Okay, the way they did the name, they didn't have vowels, they just did consonants. So it's D, and it was actually Dawid, so it's D equivalent to D-W-D, all right? Now do the math. If you're an if you're elementary, here's an experiment, elementary, fifth grade or younger, I want you to do the math. Now you can't guess, all right? You got to know it. Don't just yell out some number. You got to know. It. So David is D-4, the W is 6. What's 4 plus 6. 10, there you go, very good. You went to a better elementary school than I went to. So 4 plus 6 is 10, and then you add another 4 for the D. 10 plus 4 is 14. So David's number, DWD, is 14, okay? Now think about this. 14 is also, I know I'm getting in heavy math here, 14 is also 7 plus 7, right? 7 plus 7. Seven is a symbol of completion or fulfillment. The seven is also the symbol of God because God made the universe in six days and on the seventh day, he rested, okay? So seven is a picture of God. It's a picture of fulfillment. It's a picture of completement. Now, this is so cool. From Abraham to Christ is this section of three sections of 14 generations, right? That means... It is six sections of seven. So you got seven and seven, seven and seven, seven and seven, right? So you have six generations of six groups of seven generations. And now what Matthew is saying is this is the beginning of the seventh generation. Those are some loud boots there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the beginning of the seventh generation, Okay. Matthew is, I'll say it again because I know you're thinking about those boots. <laughs> seventh generation. Jesus is the beginning of the seventh of the seventh of the seventh. You see what I'm saying? It's fulfillment. He's saying that Jesus is fulfilling it all. It's a picture of completeness, okay? What Matthew's showing us is that Jesus is fulfilling God's rescue mission of saving his people. And he's the king and he fulfills it all, okay? It's all perfectly fulfilled in King Jesus. Matthew's also showing this, and it's not subtle, but it's there. He's showing us that, that Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is God. King Jesus is God. Look at verse 16, and notice how careful careful Matthew is to say that Jesus was, was not the biological son of Joseph. Notice how carefully he, is. he wants to make sure you know that Jesus is not the son of Joseph. So he traces this genealogy all the way down to Joseph. And then in verse 16, he says, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. So Matthew makes, Matthew makes sure we know that Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph, okay? He just says that Jesus was born of Mary and Mary was a virgin. So Matthew is doing this this thing where he is preparing us for the amazing fact that Jesus is God, okay? Think about this too. In verse 1, this is so wonderful. I want you to pay attention. I I would encourage you to to underline this and write this in your Bible if you don't have it. In verse 1, the first words of Matthew, which means that the first words of the New Testament, he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Literally. The first two Greek words of Matthew, which means the first two Greek words of the New Testament, are this. Book of Genesis, or literally it's Biblios Genesis. The first two words are Biblios Genesis. The book of Genesis in the Old Testament is the first book of the Bible, right? And in Genesis 2-4, at the very beginning of the Old Testament, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Another way of translating is this is the Genesis of the heavens and the earth. And now in Matthew, the first words of the New Testament say the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. The book of generations of Jesus Christ. Matthew's saying this. Gen, it's literally four words. Biblios, Genesis, Jesus, Christos, right? Those are the first four words here. So Matthew is saying something very important. He's saying just like the creation of the heavens and the earth was monumental, he's saying Jesus' coming is monumental. He's saying he's saying this is a new beginning, right? This is a new beginning when Jesus comes. There was a beginning in the Old Testament, now there's a new beginning. And I would say, do you need a new beginning? <laughs> and turn to Jesus. All right, Matthew's saying, so Matthew's saying this is this new beginning. He's saying Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Also in verse one, he says, so he says Biblios Genesis, and then he says Jesus, Yeshua. It's a common name, Yeshua, Joshua. It's like we have have names, guys, Josh, Joshua, and it, it's a common name. It was a common name back then. It means in, in the Hebrew, it means Yahweh saves. God saves. The word salvation is right there early on. So Matthew is making sure that in the very first verse, we know that Jesus is the Savior. He's the rescuer, the one who will save us from our sins. Still in verse 1, the word Christ. So you got Biblios, Genesis, Jesus Christ. Book of genealogy book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. So Matthew says, Jesus who is called Christ. All right? Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. So it's not like Jeff Redding and Jesus Christ and there was Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. That's not the way it was. Christ is a title which means Messiah or anointed one or promised deliverer, okay? Promised deliverer of God's people. And We may miss it, but when Matthew is saying that Jesus is the Christ, there's an unbelievable amount of excitement here. Matthew is saying he's here, the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one. He's here. And at this point in history, God had not spoken to his people for 400 years. Do you know that? There had been this silence of 400 years. And now Jesus bursts onto the scene. And at this time, too, there was in Israel, there was this great anticipation about the Messiah coming. People were talking about it all the time. In Israel, you go to Israel today, people are not anticipating the Messiah to show up any second. Back then, they were. It was a huge thing. And so by calling Jesus the Christ, Matthew's saying that the long-awaited Messiah, the promised king, the promised deliverer is here. All right, still in verse 1, Matthew says that Jesus is also the son of Abraham. That's a huge thing. Remember, Matthew starts with Abraham. Son of Abraham, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because God made a number of covenant promises to Abraham. And they're now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For example, in Genesis 12, 3, God makes this covenant promise to Abraham or Abram at the time. And he says, Abram, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in you or through you, Abram, Abraham, all the families, all the people groups all over the world will be blessed. And you know what? Through Christ, as the gospel has gone forth, this has happened. Nations, tribes, people, groups from all over the world have been blessed through Abraham because of Jesus as the gospel goes forth. So the covenant promises that God made to Abraham about 2,000 years before Jesus was born, they were being, they're now being fulfilled, okay? So as Matthew says, Jesus is the son of Abraham. So Jesus has bestowed blessings, the blessing of salvation on families, tribes, people, groups, Nations all over the earth. And so this little phrase, and now Abraham is our spiritual father, right? And so this little phrase that Matthew includes in the genealogy, son of Abraham, is so important. Because it's showing that God intended for his salvation to extend to all the nations, all races, not just Jews. Something else, and I mentioned this at the beginning. Did you notice that there are four women listed in this genealogy back in Matthew 1? This was very unusual back then. If, if you look at genealogies back then, they did, usually they didn't include women. It was usually only men. but Matthew includes these four women, okay? Back then, especially women were incredibly vulnerable, and generally women were not held in high respect. But Matthew includes them in the genealogy. And you see this in verse 3. See the, see the phrase in verse 3, by Tamar. In verse 5, the phrase, by Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Next phrase, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And then in verse 6, the wife of Uriah. This is Bathsheba, but Matthew refers to her as Uriah's wife. So you got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Okay. Now, why does Matthew include these four women in Genesis? Jesus' genealogy. You could probably think of a lot of reasons, but here are a couple that I thought of. One is this, to show that Jesus came from an ethnically diverse group of people. Usually when people are doing genealogy of Jews, they're talking about just Jews. But these four women are from different nations. They're not Jewish people. They're Gentiles. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab also was a Canaanite. Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabite. And Bathsheba, as Matthew says, she's the wife of Uriah Uriah the Hittite. So, So Bathsheba was a Hittite. So all four of these women are from different nations. They're Gentiles. And I think this is so beautiful because what Matthew is showing us, and I've thought about this a ton, Jesus came from an ethnically diverse group of people, and that means Jesus came for an ethnically diverse group of people. Jesus didn't just come to save Jews only, and I'm so thankful he didn't come to save Jews only because I'm not a Jew. Most of you are not Jews. And I'm so thankful that Jesus came from this diverse group of people. And that means he came for a diverse group of people. And if you think about it, Christianity is super unique in this way. Think about the major religions of the world. They're almost all of them. In fact, all of them are centered on one culture, Think about the religions of the world. They're centered on one culture. Hindu is centered in India. Islam, Mecca, Middle East, right? Buddhism, China. But the center of Christianity and the culture of Christianity has moved all over the world. And I think this is one of these apologetics, proof that Christianity is the truth. Christianity started in Jerusalem, in the Middle East. Then you read, like Paul's letters, most of Paul's letters are to Turkey, which is Asia. So you could say the center of Christianity moved from the Middle East to Asia. Um, you could also argue that in the early 400s, the center of Christianity was actually northern Africa because Augustine was the bishop of Hippo, which is in present-day Algeria in northern Africa. Okay. Then the center of Christianity moved to southern Europe, Rome. Then the center of Christianity moved to northern Europe, like France, Germany, Netherlands, England. Then the center of Christianity moved to North America. Now it could be that the center of Christianity is moving to Asia or to Africa, but it's a beautiful picture that Christianity is not focused in one place or one culture. It's global. God has pushed the gospel all over the world, and if you're not a Christian, I want you to think about that. That's a serious proof. Wouldn't you think if there is a a true, one true religion that it would have gone all over the world. Christianity is the largest religion in the history of the world. It's gone all over the world. And I would just ask if you're not a Christian, think seriously about that. This is what Matthew's showing us when he includes these women in in Jesus' genealogy. That Jesus came to redeem people from every race, from every tribe, from every nation, from every people group. And I think that is just beautiful. Here's another reason why I think Matthew includes these four women in the genealogy. And I also think this is wonderful. These four women are all outsiders. They're outcasts. And three of these women, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba, were sexually immoral people. A lot of the men in the genealogy were sexually immoral too. And these three women are as well. Tamar. Tamar posed as a prostitute and engaged in incest. It's an awful story in Genesis 38. Rahab was guilty of prostitution. She was a prostitute. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, was guilty of adultery with David. David forced it on her, but she was still guilty of adultery. And as I said, many of the men in the genealogy are even worse, right? So what's Matthew showing us here? Just like the ethnically diverse line that Jesus came from, Matthew is saying that Jesus, the Savior of the world, came from immoral people and he came for immoral people. And I want to say this. Maybe someone here this morning needs to hear this. Don't you dare think that you're too dirty or too filthy or too broken or too messed up for Jesus to save. These are the people Jesus came from. He came from messed up people, and that means he came for messed up people. King Jesus came to heal those who were sick, whose hearts and minds are sick. Jesus came to save gross and disgusting people, people like me, and I'm so glad he did. And Matthew does a beautiful job of showing us this when he points out that King Jesus came from a line of sexually immoral people. Let me close with this. I'm about done. I said it at the beginning, you were made for God. You long, As, as Bob Ink says, you, you long for truth, but you're false by nature. You yearn for rest, but you throw yourself from one diversion to another. You long for eternity, but you're seeking after the pleasures of the moment. Listen, you are made for more than this world. You were made for God. You are made for King Jesus. So if you're not a believer, I'm inviting you to turn away from your sin. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Give your heart to King Jesus. This Christmas, give up the controls of your life and allow Jesus to rescue you. Because apart from him, you have no hope. If you reject Jesus, if you reject King Jesus, you have no hope. So give your life to King Jesus. As I said, Matthew's telling us the king is coming. King Jesus is here. And what kind of king is he? We'll learn about this. What kind of king is he? He's a strong king. He's a mighty king. And he's a loving king. He loves you more than you will ever know. He's a strong and loving king. He's a good king. He's a gracious king. There's a a song by City of Light that I love. It's called Good and Gracious King. We've sung sung it a bunch and I want this to be the heart cry of everyone in here. It says this, oh what, oh, what grace that you would see me as your child and as your friend. Safe, secure in you forever, I pour out my praise again. Another part goes like this. Think about what when we come to the throne of glory, to King Jesus, what do we bring? It says, I approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hands I bring. But the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious king. And it says this, what do we give to Jesus? I'm going to have to sing it. I will give to you my burden. We give to him, we give to him our burden. As you give to me your strength, right? He gives us his strength. And we say, come and fill me with your spirit. As I sing to you this praise, right? You know it. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice. To the king, what does he need? The king in need of nothing. Empty handed, I rejoice. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome with joy, I sing. By your love, by your love, I am accepted. Why? Because you're a good and gracious king. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, thank you for... Matthew's gospel, God, I pray even in this moment now that folks would just think about who you are. Jesus, I pray in this moment people would think about who you are, what kind of king you are. I pray that they'd look past my goofy singing and really think about how good and gracious you are. You're so good to us. I pray that, that whether people, if, if they're Christians here, I pray that their hearts would be overflowing in gratitude and thankfulness to you for how loving you are. We really cannot understand how much you love us. And if someone here is not a Christian, I pray that they would see they need you. They cannot save themselves. They need you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray even now, Then in this, in this moment of quiet, that, Holy Spirit, you'd work in a heart and they would see how glorious you are, King Jesus. So we love you, praise you. I thank you, Lord. We thank you just for how much you love us for coming we're taking on flesh and becoming a man, being born from a line of filthy people to come for filthy people like me. So we praise you love. and love. We pray this in Jesus' name.